likeness to one another, not because we would have had association with one another in other places, not even because we would agree with one another except for the blood of Christ. We're part of this body. We're part of this family. And we're going to talk about family in weeks to come, not today so much. But we're going to talk about family and how important it is in the relationships of family. Not because we're so pretty, not because we say all the right things, not because we do all the right things, but because we are family, we unite together and we hold together. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, Paul tells us. There is one body in Christ Jesus. There's one Lord, one spirit. There is one word that we draw from. And in spite of all our warts, in spite of all our unique distinctions, in spite of our likes and our dislikes, in spite of everything, Christ brought us together with his blood, and we are blessed. We are part of a family, and we belong uh, to be a part of one another. I want to share with you a lesson this morning. I've been thinking about for at least probably 20 minutes or so. Now, I want to share with you a lesson, something that was on my mind, and so I get to share it because I get to choose what I want to talk about. But I call it make disciples. Make disciples. Somewhere along the line in reading, I came to the understanding we are supposed to be disciples. You understand the idea of disciple? That's about a learner. That's a learner. When I was a little boy, we planted some fruit trees in our backyard. It wasn't a big backyard, but my mother and my dad wanted some fruit trees. And I was all excited. I thought, all right, man, fruit trees. You know, I was all of about eight, nine years old. I thought, fruit trees, this would be great. We'll have some peaches. We'll have some cherries. I forget what all we planted in the backyard. And then they came home with those spindly little twigs. And I said, what's this? Well, these are the trees. I said, well, what about the fruit? They said, it'll be a while. I don't necessarily like to wait a while on things, do you? I want them right then, right now. You know, we live in a fast food generation, a fast food time. We like to be able to pull through the drive-thru, have our food handed to us out the window, and before we get out of the driveway, we've got french fries in our mouths. That's the kind of society we are. But that has to do with what I want to talk to you about this morning. I'm reminded of an admonition in the book of James. James reminds us, let not many of you become teachers. It's kind of an odd statement. And when you read that, you think, wait a minute, I thought we we're supposed to all be teachers. Well, in a way, yes. But realize there is something about being a teacher. Well, the text there is about words and especially the problems of words and what you say and standing behind them. I understand what James is saying, but yet it may lead us with the wrong conclusion. You know, for an awful lot of years, if you don't mind me being personal for just a little while, you don't have a choice, I'm going to anyway. For a long time, (laughs) I guess you could get up and walk out, couldn't you? But in all seriousness, I've never really fit the traditional concept of a teacher not even sure I always fit the traditional concept of a preacher. The Baptist preacher in Minka, when I was preaching there, walked by and says, you're not like other preachers from the Church of Christ. And I said, is that good or is that bad? And he said, well, uh, and he kind of stammered. And so I don't really know whether that was good or bad. But I've not always fit the traditional concept of, of a teacher especially. But I've striven to teach throughout my adult life. I've striven to do that. I've been trying to do that. But I think I share a common problem with all teachers. Now, I shouldn't speak for all teachers, I guess, but I think it's a common problem. Because when I know something and I share something, I want everybody to agree with me. I want them to understand it. You know, if I was teaching trigonometry, I'd want them to learn that trigonometry 
immediately. Say, I've got it. I, if I was teaching science, if I was teaching English, and some of my English teachers still wish I would get it right. But as a teacher, we want them to grab the student to grab that and know it and know it with immediacy. And as a preacher and as a teacher, I'm sure I'm right about everything, and I want everybody to agree with me. I want everybody to just immediately grab that and say, that's the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be. It's been a disappointment through the It's not really, but I've had to learn that that's not exactly the way it works. Because I'd like for once understanding everyone then simply be where exactly where I am. Not that you'd ever want to be there, but I, I hope that's, that unrealistic idea is something that we can get beyond. But there is a little bit of that in just about any of us, whether we're parents, whether we're official teachers, or just somebody who's needing to share something with someone. Because when something is important to us, we want to share it. We want it known, and we want to help other people understand it in the same way that we understand it. So when I was a kid, not a baby goat, but when I was a kid, I would have my friends come over to our house on a hot summer day. We could go in the house. The house was cool. My mother would put up with it, I guess, or maybe she, maybe she just, well, she endured it anyway. I'd have my friends come over to the house on a hot summer afternoon, and we would watch Bible story film strips. Now, it's hard to believe in this generation that anybody could be interested in something that you had turned frame by frame through a projector and everything. Now, some of you are old enough, and you remember that very well. Walter, I'm not going to pick on you, but we remember those things very well. You know, that was part of my youth, and I know that was a long time ago. But, but we would go in there, and we would, we would watch those film strips. And one of the things that we would do in the midst of that, one of the things that we would do in the midst of that is I would slip in some of the Jewel Miller film strips. I'd slip in those Jewel Miller film strips, not DVDs, film strips, and start running those Jewel Miller film strips of the patriarchal age, the mosaical age, the Christian age, and, you know, and so forth. They're really called the Visualized Bible Study Series. But we always called them the Jewel Miller film strips back in the 1950s when Jewel Miller began to put those together in slides and then in film strips and then later DVDs and so forth. But uh, I would show them those films and we'd go through them and, and uh, we played the records originally and then we had, we had tapes that we would play. But I would play those for them and I would expect when we got through that fourth one, when we'd get through the fourth one, I just assumed that they would immediately say, where's the water? Get me down there and get me baptized. Frankly, it didn't work that way. They liked the film strips. That was, that was all well and good. It probably liked getting inside the house where it was cooler and maybe got something to drink or something like that. And what I've realized over time, what I've realized over time is that uh, what I was doing was kind of like singing the Star-Spangled Banner, getting them to sing the Star-Spangled Banner and the Pledge of Allegiance right after it and think that they would immediately be patriotic citizens and maybe enlist in the army or something like that right away. Doesn't work that way, does it? You can't just wave the flag and expect somebody to suddenly become a 
an American citizen, a patriot, a lover of the country, and all of that. In that line, as we turn it to a spiritual thinking, and get past some of my ignorance, I used to take a lot of periodicals that were were mailed, and, and some of the periodicals that circulated within the church would, in the back of them, carry statistics. And so-and-so would be holding a meeting in this place or speaking in this place, and he would always write in, and he'd say, and we had 400 baptisms, we had 300,000 baptisms, whatever it was. He'd say, we had 5, 12, 15, whatever the baptisms were, and they would send those in there and say, we had that many baptisms. Well, it's all a nice thing. Say, yes, we had that many people respond, we had that many people baptized, all a very good thing, but what it's... What it's it really did. It engendered, it engendered a sense of competition. We've got to get more baptisms. We've got to get more people baptized. We've got to baptize more people. But not to take away from the good that was done, and it's great that they had a lot of, a lot of people responding to what they were saying. What I came to consider is there is a very real difference There's a very real difference between getting somebody to obey a set of instructions or commands. A very real difference between that and getting them to commit the direction of their lives to the Lord that they barely even know. I want to be very careful with what I say this morning. Because I want you to understand where I'm coming from in this. Let's go to Matthew 28. In Matthew 28... In verse 16, Jesus finds himself with his disciples. They've gone to Galilee. They've met him. This is after the resurrection. They go to the appointed mountain, and they they meet Jesus there, and it says he was there. And then in verse 17, it says, when they saw him, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, Listen to this. Go, therefore, and make disciples, make learners, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Follow that. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You recognize that. You recognize the Great Commission. You've read the end of the book of Matthew probably. If you haven't, you need to do so. We know that. We've read that Great Commission time and time again. We've read Mark's account of it as well. But notice what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So what have we done? What have we done? Don't run ahead of me. Here's where we're going. Because sometimes we just think, get them in the water before they get away. That's right. People, without question, without question, we want everyone to know the gospel. We want everyone to know and obey the gospel, and that does include baptism, no doubt about it. And we might think about, as Peter proclaimed, that God had made this Jesus whom they'd murdered, who they'd put on the cross and crucified. God had made him, raised him up, made him both Lord and Christ. Notice their response immediately. Acts chapter 2, he says that in verse 36. In verse 37, it comes back and they say, men and brethren, what should we do? It's almost like they interrupt Peter, it seems like, and they ask the question, men and brethren, what should we do? Peter's response was twofold. Don't miss it. His response was twofold. Repent. Number one, change your 
lives. Come to an understanding that you need to change your life. Sometimes we misunderstand repentance. We think repentance just means, oh, I need to feel bad about it. Uh Uh-uh. That's not it. Repentance is all about change. Repentance is all about doing something different. Repentance is all about the commitment that you're making in your life. Repentance is about turning around and going in a different direction in your life. He says, repent, and then let every one of you be baptized. There's an importance to both in this case. Be baptized into Christ. And we get more instruction about it. They understood what baptism was. They knew it immediately. They knew what a baptism was. They'd have been practiced for different reasons, for different things, for for ages. And it was given something very special. Many of them had heard John the Baptist in his teaching about baptism. But what we begin to learn. What we begin to learn at this point and what ties into what Jesus has already said about making disciples is coming out of the water is only the beginning. If you read further in that second chapter of the book of Acts and you go down from about verse 42 to the end, we find just for that 3,000 people said, all right, this is what I want to do, and they changed their life. We don't know how many other people there were that didn't, but we know 3,000 people that day made a change in their lives, were baptized into Christ, and started a new beginning. They had a new relationship with people. They helped one another out. They cared about one another, reached to one another's needs. Go through the next chapters. You find out they had problems. There were warts in the church in Jerusalem. You understand what I mean by warts? They had problems, problems that they dealt with, people that they disagreed with, things that didn't go their way, and they worked together to build them up, and they leaned upon their teachers. But the fact of the matter is here, that was just the beginning But you know what? We like to be closers because we like closure. We like things to happen immediately, and we like to get it done. It's kind of like the filthy salesman on the car lot. Any car lot sales? Oh, well, anyway. It's an exaggeration. I understand. But but closers want to see an immediate response. Because salespeople often tend to put pressure on people to do what they really are not quite ready or don't really want to do at the moment. It's part of their job to some degree. As a car sales manager once told me one day, I said, said, I'll make up my mind when I want to. And I said, I'm going to leave. And he said, I wish you wouldn't leave. And I said, what's so big about me leaving right now? I'm not going to buy this car right now. He said, said, because we understand that if you walk off this lot, we've got a less than 20% chance of selling you this car. We like to close things because we fear that if we don't close it, then it's never going to happen. If I don't get it now, it's never going to happen. If I don't get you in the water now, it's never going to happen. We can understand theirs is a different kind of pressure because this is their livelihood. That's just how they put bread on their table. That's how they pay their rent or their mortgage or whatever it might be. But we've adopted that into Christianity sometimes. We've adopted it into Christianity in this way. We call, I call it the quick fix. The quick fix of the 70s and 80s especially became very vital, very vital. We got into all kinds of one-step deals. If we can sit down for five minutes for somebody, we can get them in the water. We can baptize them. And I recognize in the post-World War II era, the church was growing. We were spreading missionaries around the world. We went back to Germany. As Germany was being rebuilt, we sent missionaries to Germany. There were missionaries going to Japan and other places. The churches of Christ in the 1960s were listed as the fastest growing religious group in the United States. It had a message. 
and people were accepting that message. But in the mid-1970s, in the mid-1970s, that growth began to cool. And when we saw it began to, begin to cool, there were those who thought, we need to do something about this. Our people are not ready, and so we've got to do something. And so they began soul-winning workshops, teach people how to do this. We teach people how to tell somebody about the gospel. We went around doing that, and we had large ones where thousands of people would gather together, worship together, sing together, pray together, and we pressed all kinds of ideas from going out with buses to going out with suitcases full of film strips or whatever we had or whatever we could, little tablets that we could flip over and show the gospel to people. Many good ideas, many good ideas in a good way. And they were effective in numbers. But again, let me say, too often, Too often we may have baptized people who were not really believers. Statistically, you can back that up. Because before long, so many of them were no longer around. I think about that encounter that Philip had with that Ethiopian on that road. And he says he began at that scripture. What scripture? We know it as Isaiah 53. He began at that scripture and he preached to him Jesus. Along the way, that Ethiopian says, brother, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? You ever notice the response that Philip gives to him? And I know a few of the translations don't always include all of the statements there, but it's there. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He wasn't going to put him in the water without that kind of faith. It wasn't about just getting an act done. It was about his life and his heart. It was about that repentance. It was about that change. It was about the belief that was there. Now, my friends, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't want you to misunderstand my concept about the importance of baptism. Because baptism, baptism is the point. Baptism at the point at which faith's action contacts salvation and bring us into the new life in Christ. You can read those passages like Mark 16 and 16. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. Or what we mentioned there in Acts 2, verses 37 and 38. Repent and let everyone be baptized into Jesus Christ for their mission. Anyway, and then 1 Peter 3, 21. as he draws the illusion between the saving of Noah and his family and baptism, it says in the like figure, baptism does also now save us, takes us out of the loss and into the life. You see, baptism is instrumental. It's repeated again and again and again in the scriptures. The illustration is there. But baptism Baptism without determined and personal, personal faith. Not doing it just because that's what mom and dad want you to do. Not doing it just because that's what your friends are doing. Not doing it because that's just because that's what your wife wants you to do. Not doing it just simply because, when I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell if I'm not baptized. But doing it because you understand the value of it and the faith that it takes to bring us to that point. Baptism without determined and personal faith, personal faith, is just getting wet. So 
So what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Oh, I already said that, didn't I? You read it. He said, teach them. Teach them. You see, we like it easy. We like the fast food. We like the fast gospel. We like it easy. We want to be able to sit, get out there and say, hey, here's what it is. Get it. Teach them. When you see a team that's struggling, a team, a professional team or a college team or even a high school team, and they're struggling, they've gone into a game and they played the game, football, basketball, whatever it might be, they go in to play the game. If it's a baseball game and the guys are just making error after error and the batters are not hitting, the quarterback's not hitting uh, his receivers or the running back's just not making it in football or basketball, the balls are just bouncing off the backboard and not going anywhere. We might hear a coach say something like, we just need to get them back to basics. That's what I'm telling you. I don't think it's old-fashioned. I don't think it's because I'm archaic. I might be, but that's not in this. This is not about that. Sometimes we just need to get back to the basics. Jesus challenged us to learn from him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come unto me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What did he go on to say? Take my yoke upon you and do what? Learn from or of me. Learn. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus challenged us to come and to learn from him. And when the question arises, as it often does, why we're losing people? Why are we losing so many of our young people? And the writers, I've got books in the library back there on the shelf telling us why we're losing people. You know why we're losing young people? You know why we're losing adults? You know why why people are not attending church services and why baptisms are so scarce today? Because there's never been a developed personal faith. We can't shove our young people into Bible classes and think that suddenly they're going to grab hold of faith. It might happen. Hadn't been in ministry for very long and a mother sat across the desk from me in that little office that I had, the little windowless office in the back of the church building where I was working at the time. And she came in and sat down. I didn't know what was coming. I was working with the young people and she says, I don't know what to do. So I bring my kids to church. They're here at every service, but we got problems. I said, yeah. I didn't know what to say to her. If you're expecting the church to do your work for you, you're missing it. When you set God and Christ above all, when you set it above the sports and the activities, you set it above school activities, when you set it above everything else, then you might find your children growing. When you show it in your life and the way that you treat the, the religious faith that you have, when you treat the other Christians as you should, when you treat the will of God as you should, when it lives in your home, when your language and, and all that you do is tied to this, then maybe we have a better chance. Build Faith in yourself, 
Make it personal. Build faith in your children. Make it personal. Build faith in your friends and your fellow Christians and make it personal. Notice, that's what Jesus gives us. The progression of Jesus' teaching is this. Make disciples. Baptize them. And continue teaching them while maintaining fellowship with them and with God. I think we've missed it and just run to baptism as if it's a remedy for all. A little later, Paul would write, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. He goes on to say a little bit later, but we were generated or created unto good works. Grace through faith is the phrase. By grace through faith. You see, it's more than just obedient action that gains favor. It's not about just doing the right thing. It's not about just coming into this assembly and doing it right in the sight of God. It's not just how you sing a song. It's not just how you pray. It's not just how you observe the Lord's Supper. Those are all good things and right things. I understand that. But it's about the commitment of your heart and your life. It's about turning your life towards God. And it's a very personal, personal matter. It's not about the group. It's about you. It's more than just obedient action that gains favor. My friends, we can, we can take good action and miss in a big way. In Matthew 14, the parallels, we see Peter walked on water and sank. Peter walked on water and got wet. We go back to 2 Kings 5, you find Naaman got in the water and he got more than wet. He got clean. Teach them because we don't want to lose. There's the real closer. If you want a good example, if you want a good example of this, go to John 6. Latter part of the chapter, a lot of people walked away from Jesus. They didn't want to hold on to that. They lost it. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. At that point in verse 68 of John 6, Jesus looks at his closest disciples and he said, will you also go away? And you got to love Peter, as I say, because Peter responds, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of life. Don't stop there. That's, That's great. And we have come to believe you are the Christ. Notice what he said. We have come to believe you are the Christ. You see, disciples don't leave with ease. They know the value of what they see and what they hear. They know how important it is. They know. Let's put the they out and let's put the you and me in. We know the value of what we see. We know the value of what we hear. And let us be among those like them who have developed that truly personal faith that rises above. So let me conclude with this. No doubt, there is no substitute for baptism. 
That immersion into Christ cannot be substituted in any way. You cannot count on it any other way. It's taught us in Scripture. That's plain. But this is not water regeneration. It's not about just getting an act done. It is not a sacramental act. It is the confluence of faith and determining to be a disciple, a learner, a follower, a grower in Christ. You know those trees didn't produce fruit for a while. But a little bit later, we sure had some great cherry cobblers. I tell you, I can taste them now. It takes time. Go and make disciples. Importantly, be disciples. We'll sing a song of encouragement this morning. Maybe there is a need that you have. Maybe you've considered this very thing very carefully and you've come to that point, yes, now I need to make that choice and I need to determine to be baptized into Christ. Maybe that's on your heart and mind. 